0: Let me uh, encourage you and ask you to turn in your Bibles once again to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning. And while you're turning there, let me just give you a quick preview of the plan for the coming weeks. Uh, We're going to, Lord willing, next week come to the famous 1 Corinthians 13 passage where Paul uh, talks about the more excellent way of of love. And uh, we're going to slow down a little bit and spend some time in that chapter Reflecting on what Paul has to say about the nature of of true love. And I hope and trust that we'll see that Paul really is giving us a description of of Jesus, who is love in the flesh. And uh, I I hope you'll all agree with me, too, that one of the things we all need more than anything is more of the love of Jesus in our lives. And so we'll turn to 1 Corinthians 13 to reflect upon... uh, love, see it in the life and ministry of Jesus, and see how, as those who've experienced the love of Jesus in our lives, we are, we are then enabled to love one another and love others as Jesus Christ has loved us. Uh, but today, we're here in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and let's just remember that Paul is dealing with the problem of division in the Corinthian church. Uh, the Corinthians, we've seen, are dividing over church leaders, uh, over civil lawsuits, uh, over food offered to idols, over the Lord's Supper. And beginning in chapter 12, we've seen they're also dividing over spiritual gifts. Uh, We saw last time that some of them were claiming to be uh, spiritual, uh, super spiritual Christians. And there was emphasis, uh, emphasis on certain gifts that distinguished Um, those who were really spiritual, right? The more public and spectacular, the better. And if you didn't have one of those spiritual gifts, some of the Corinthians thought, oh, that just means you are a second-class Christian. And so in Corinth, some of the Christians were boasting in their gifts, and unsurprisingly, this was causing a bit of division in the fellowship. We saw last time that to, to address this issue... Paul appealed, first of all, to a fundamental truth of the Christian faith in order to teach them about true identity in diversity with uh, a, a true unity in the midst of diversity in the church of Jesus Christ. And you remember, he, he pointed them to the work of the triune God who gives diverse gifts. These gifts coming from, uh, from the same spirit, the same Lord, and the same God, God himself, is both diverse and one in the indivisible unity of the Trinity. And since this is what God is like, the gift giver, so in the same way the church is richly diverse in gifts and ministries and yet profoundly one. That was last time. Now today, Paul continues to address the problem of division over spiritual gifts in Uh, the church of Corinth, uh, some of the Corinthians felt uh, inferior and unneeded. On the other hand, others felt superior and like they didn't need anyone else. And so what Paul does is he teaches the Corinthians that through their union with Jesus Christ, they are one body made up of many members. They are the body of Christ. And as the body of Christ, every member matters and no one is self sufficient. That's Paul's teaching in a nutshell in this passage. And the light of the church's identity as the body of Christ, every member matters and we need each other. Uh, and so, with that in mind, let's go ahead and read the passage, 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, 12, uh, beginning in verse 12 through the end of the chapter, and let's hear together what God has to say to the church today. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. I wonder if, If you've been with us as we've made our way through 1 Corinthians, if you have noticed how often one of the problems in Corinth is how much the Corinthian believers thought and lived like the world around them. One of the major issues in 1 Corinthians, the Christians in Corinth reflecting the culture and the world around them in problematic ways. And again and again and again, Paul has been calling them uh, to remember their identity, their new identity in Jesus Christ. Remember some of the problems, ways they reflected the world they, when it came to, uh, to preachers and leaders in the church? What did they want? They wanted, they wanted a public orator. Right? They wanted somebody who could speak with charisma and power, someone who could captivate an audience and entertain instead of somebody who preached the good news of Jesus Christ and and Him crucified. They uh, They were suing one another in civil court in order to make financial gain, just like the culture around them. The Corinthian believers were still struggling with different kinds of sexual immorality. You'll remember there was a very public case of incest in the congregation. Something Paul said shouldn't even be isn't even named among the Gentiles, and some of them were still going and sleeping around with temple prostitutes. Uh, You'll remember that even though they were identified as the family of God, uh, they were still dividing along socio-economic lines: the haves and the have-nots. We could give other examples, but the Corinthians still looked so much like the world. And so Paul has been laboring in love to remind them of their identity in Christ, calling them to be who they really are, a new creation in Christ Jesus. And Paul has been pushing this, that this new identity in Christ demands change. It demands change in how we think. It demands change in how we live together. So that instead of reflecting the priorities of the world, Paul calls the Corinthians, and God calls us, to reflect what the new humanity looks like in Jesus Christ. We see this problem of worldliness popping up once again with spiritual gifts. Instead of these gifts being used in service and out of love for the common good, spiritual gifts were being used for Self-advancement, to prop oneself up. They were one in Christ, but you see, they had to learn how to live as one. To no longer live to serve self, but to begin to see oneself in Christ as a servant who lives for the common good. And let's just be honest here, that's hard isn't it? And that takes work, that takes time, it takes effort. It's hard for us when we when we live in a culture that prizes individualism, that makes an idol out of self, and confuses selfishness with virtue. And so changing from living primarily for self to living to serve others, I think, is one of the great challenges Of the Christian life it certainly was for the Corinthians and so to help them Paul takes up the image of the body to help them to come to terms with who they now are in Christ Paul understands that identity determines how we will think and how we will live and so just like the Corinthians I think we need to come to terms with what it really means to be the body of Christ. One body made up of many members. And so if you look with me at verses 12 through 13, Paul introduces this theme of the church as the body of Christ. He says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Now, did you notice the, the weird way that verse 12 ends? It's, I don't think it's what you'd expect. I think you expect Paul to say something like, all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with the church, right? After all, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about the church. The metaphor of the body with diverse parts is a metaphor about the church. But that's not what Paul says. He says, so it is with Christ why would he say that? I think because he wants us to understand that although he's working with a metaphor here, we shouldn't understand this as an empty metaphor, but instead as something that is pointing us to a profoundly real spiritual reality. When we became Christians, we were united Profoundly and intimately to the Lord Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. And when we were united to Christ, we were also united to every other Christian united to Christ. And so there's a profound and and fundamental unity, whether you see it or not, whether you feel it or not, between every Christian and Christ and every Christian in him. It is it is as intimate and profound as the union of diverse parts making up the anatomy of our human bodies. And by implication, Paul is helping us understand, to, to live in, in disharmony, right? to, to place needless division within the church of Jesus, is to contradict the fundamental spiritual reality about who we really are in Jesus Christ. We are one, essentially and fundamentally, by the sovereign ministry of the Holy Spirit of Christ Jesus. And so to not reflect that is actually to live at odds with who we are in Christ. And in verse 13... Uh, Paul goes on, and we see how it is we became one with Christ, and therefore one with one another. He says, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. We think we understand baptism in the Lord's Supper, and then we read the Apostle Paul who brings baptism and communion into the oddest discussions. And here he is, I think, appealing to baptism, and as we'll see the Lord's Supper here in just a minute, we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, and we're all made to drink of one Spirit. So Here I think he's talking about, first of all, about baptism. He's talking about the supernatural reality which baptism points us to. See, water baptism is the outward sign of the baptism of the Holy Spirit performed by Christ and by which Paul says, we are united to Christ and inducted into the body of Christ. And just as an aside here, you know there is, there is some popular teaching out there today in the evangelical world that would have you believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a kind of second blessing that comes along later In the Christian life. And and all I want to say at this point. We'll probably come back to this later on. As we work through 1 Corinthians. Is dear friends. That is simply not the teaching of the Bible. It's actually profound distortion. To be a Christian at all. Is to have been baptized. By Christ. In the spirit. And so united to him and his people. You must have the Spirit and have been baptized by Christ in the Spirit to be a Christian at all. This is, this is the experience of every true believer. So if, if anyone tells you, hey, if, to be a real Christian, to know you're for real, you must receive some second blessing, and this is usually accompanied by uh, a confirming sign of addition, you know, certain spiritual gifts all I want to say, here's a pastoral exhortation. Don't listen. Don't listen to that. It's actually toxic stuff. And so in one spirit, we were baptized into one body. And likewise, Paul says we drink of the one Holy Spirit, which I, I really think is a reference at this point to the Lord's Supper. And again, the spiritual reality to which the Lord's Supper points us. The spirit, right? the life-giving spirit, flows to us, as it were, from Jesus Christ. And I think here's Paul's point with regard to the Lord's Supper. To be a Christian at all means to be profoundly uh, related to Jesus Christ by the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And in him, every single Christian, regardless of ethnicity, class, social status, Uh, Race is one in him. And so Paul says, Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, we could add male and female, rich and poor, black and white, we're all one in Christ Jesus, made one by the Holy Spirit. And this is how Paul is teaching us, this is how we must learn to think of ourselves as the church because it is who we are in Christ Jesus. And so now Paul calls the Corinthians, God's calling us, to begin to live in the light of who we are by grace. To to live out the unity that is forged by the Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus. And then this, of course, is where the rubber meets the road and things get challenging, isn't it? It's easy to talk about unity and go on and on until you're blue in the face. But it's not so easy to live in harmony with one another. Okay, we, can, we can be a bit like, uh, like newlyweds, right? united in law and in love, but learning to live as one is sometimes really challenging, isn't it? And there can be growing pains, and it takes time and work and effort and investment And sacrifice, it isn't easy. And so having introduced the theme of the church as the body of Christ in verses 12 and 13. Now in verses 14 through 26, Paul identifies two attitudes that are antithetical to belonging to the body of Christ. Okay, so two ways of thinking that do not belong because we are one body in Christ Jesus. And I think you'll agree as we unpack these, these are two mistaken ways of thinking that find their way in every church. And it often inhibits our ability to live together in the unity of the Spirit as members of the one body of Christ. Okay, so let's look at these two wrong ways of thinking with a view to avoiding them, okay? Uh, In verses 14 through 20, Paul deals with how we may sometimes wrongly think about ourselves. Okay, so wrong thinking about ourselves, first of all, in verses 14 through 20. And then, in verses 21 through 26, he deals with how we may sometimes wrongly think about others. So Some wrong thinking about ourselves, and some wrong thinking about others. Let's look at first... um, in verses 14 through 20, where he deals with how we may wrongly think about ourselves. And he continues to develop, you'll notice the the, the metaphor of the body, with, I think, quite a bit of humor. I actually think this is meant to be a humorous passage, though we miss that. He imagines, he envisions here, talking body parts, complaining about their role in the body. So take a look at verse 15. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong in the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. I really think we're meant to appreciate the absurdity of the word picture because, frankly, sometimes we're being silly in our thinking about ourselves, if we think this way. Some of the Corinthians struggled with feeling inferior. You know, I'm, 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 I'm only a foot and not a hand. Maybe I don't belong after all. Maybe I have no place here. They were saying because I don't have this or that gift. I don't belong. or I don't have anything to contribute. They were feeling inferior and insignificant and perhaps unappreciated. And Paul plays out the absurdity of this a bit more in verse 17. He says, okay, let's, let's, let's have a little thought experiment. Let's say every one of you uh, was gifted in the same way. Right? That all of you had the same kind of giftedness to serve in the church. And he's asking the question, what good would that be? If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? It's another bizarre image, isn't it? It's it's kind of freakish. Instead of a body, you just have this giant ear or this giant eyeball or this gargantuan nose. And Paul is saying, what good is that? It's useless. The body only functions when it is made up of diverse parts which work harmoniously together. It only works when each part, however small, however seemingly insignificant, functions in harmony with the rest and so if we're ever feeling like we have nothing to contribute or we don't we don't belong Paul is bringing us along to understand that we're not we're not thinking right sure you may not have the same gifts of others but dear friends they don't have the same gifts as you and take a look at verse 18 because it's also important I think for us to see what Paul grounds all of this in he says, as it is, God has arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? So here's why dissatisfaction is so misguided. He's saying it's, it's God who determines the nature and the range of a person's gifts. And therefore, their service in the household of God. It's God who deploys them as he wills in the church. God is in control and in charge of this whole matter of giftedness and, and our role within the body. It really isn't up to you and me in the end to complain that we don't have the gifts that other people might have. And incidentally, I think he's reminding us here of a more general principle that comparison is deadly in the Christian life. Comparison is deadly in the Christian life. It's a warning to all of us. It's it's a warning to me as a pastor. Pastors are tempted, you may know or you may not, to compare themselves with other pastors and wish they could be more like this pastor and so on. And Paul is reminding us, comparison is deadly in the Christian life. Our calling is to simply use what God has given to us as gift, to use it in humility and for the glory of his name and for the good of his people. And so it's to use our gifts in our circumstances in a way that only we can. And so God orders the body and there is a vital and important diversity in the body of Christ. And, and we are not to exclude ourselves because we don't have the gifts that someone else has. As a believer... You belong, Paul is saying. And he's saying your role is fundamental to the whole body functioning. You are part of the body of Christ made up of many diverse parts. And God has made you to belong. God has given you a place in the body and ordained your service for the common good. Just because it isn't as noticeable or as public, Paul is also teaching us, doesn't mean it's any less important. The body needs ears, hands, and feet, and, uh, and so on. And so we are not to tell ourselves that we don't belong when God himself has made us to belong. As a believer, you've been made part of the body, and so you are part of the body functioning the way that it's supposed to. That's Paul's big idea here. And so there's, that's the first corrective, a corrective for how we may think about ourselves. But then in verses 21 through 26, Paul talks about how we may wrongly think about others. Take a look at verse 21 to get a sense of this. Uh, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Notice the language that Paul uses there, indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. Okay, so in Corinth, there were some church members saying to themselves, I'm not needed. They struggled with inferiority. But there were other Christians in Corinth who were saying, I don't need you. I can do just fine on my own. And they were struggling with pride and superiority. And that is a common sentiment in our society today, isn't it? That spirit of individualism that leads us to say, I don't need you in a culture that privileges This kind of individualistic attitude where the autonomous self is king. That may be a reigning idea in our society, in our culture today, dear friends. But it has no place among the people of God. Has no place among the body of Christ in the local church. No member of the body can say to any other member, I don't need you. Consider, again, Paul's metaphor. In the body, he says, some parts we cover up. They are the unpresentable parts. And we give those parts special attention, carefully covering them over for modesty's sake. Now, for the sake of modesty, I think you know what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. In this sense, on these parts we bestow a greater honor. He says, we don't don't need to give that kind of attention to to the eye or the hand, as we do with some other parts of our bodies. And I think the point Paul's making here is is pretty clear. But set this in contrast with popular thinking in our culture today. Most people think that to be honored and valued and appreciated, you know, you've got to be front and center. You've got to be in the limelight. You've got to have a big personality and impress people if you really want to be respected. And it's really only a few people who who reach this high status, but most people go on living their lives without appreciation, without honor. But my friends, this culture of celebrity, where we honor some and ignore many others, once again, has no place among the people of God. No place whatsoever. In fact, notice what Paul is saying. It's those parts which we deem weakest that we bestow the greatest honor upon. You know, there are people in our church whose vital and indispensable ministry largely goes unnoticed. We can list off, um, not by name, but individuals of this sort. Older men and women who set an example for younger generations of what it means to follow Jesus and seek to mentor them of the faith, the senior saint who faithfully prays day after day after day for us as a church and even for us individually, the family that opens up their home to show hospitality, the the quiet encouragers, the servant-hearted doers, the helpers, the administrators, and so on. We could keep going while our culture privileges. The extrovert with the big personality, Paul is reminding us we need to practice extra care toward the vital ministries of our brothers and sisters who largely go unseen. As Paul puts it, we are to show greater honor to those who lack it. And so Paul corrects the mistake in the same way as he did the previous one. Did you notice that? the wrong-headed thinking about ourselves and now the wrong-headed thinking about others, Paul corrects it with the same reality. The the antidote for both errors of I'm not needed and I don't need you is the same. Look at verse 24. He points again to the prerogatives of our sovereign God who orders the body as he wills. saying God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. God has ordered the church in this way, that no Christian is unnecessary and no Christian is self-sufficient. Brothers and sisters, do we need to hear that again and take that in? No Believer in the household of God is unnecessary and no believer is self-sufficient. God's plan is that the members of the body of Christ exercise care for one another, understanding that every member needs every other in order for the functioning of the whole. So that in the church, verse 26, here's what this might look like. In some tangible ways, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Think about it this way: you know, when you uh, when you slip and fall on the ice, as I know some of you have done recently, it's not just your back or your head that hurts, is it? Your whole body hurts. The pain isn't limited to one part of your body. The whole body suffers as a result. For those of you who, who deal with chronic pain, if you've got back pain or neck pain or some other kind of pain, it isn't just pain experienced in that part of the body. Your whole body suffers as a result of the pain. When one part suffers, the whole suffers with it. Think of the other thing that Paul's talking about here. When one part is honored, the whole body rejoices. You know, when somebody comes up to you and says a compliment, right? Your your hair looks really nice today. You have dazzling eyes. Um, Your whole body responds, doesn't it? In, In rejoicing at the reception of that compliment. When we are honored, the whole body responds. And Paul is saying, that is how it's supposed to be in the church of Jesus Christ, is the body. When one member suffers, we all suffer in solidarity with him or her. And when one member is honored, we're not to look on them with jealousy or envy, but rather we are to rejoice in the blessing that is being received. And I think that is a profoundly countercultural picture of human society, isn't it? Paul sums it up helpfully in verse 27. We are the body of Christ and individually members of it. If you think about it, our folks in our society long for this sort of thing, don't they? In, in one way or another. They, they, they want the kind of balance where both of these things are upheld and preserved, where you have unity And individuality alike honored and cherished and upheld where the group does not suppress the individual and the individual upholds and supports the group. But dear friends, you will search in vain for this sort of thing in the organizations of men or attempts to achieve it through the laws of men. You will search in vain until you look for that reality in the church of Jesus Christ. There you may see, certainly not perfectly, the the Corinthian Christians were struggling to live it out. And frankly, we struggle to live it out at times too. And yet, really here, by the grace of God among us, sinners though we are, you can catch a real glimpse of this reality. The members of the body of Christ serving one another in love Rejoicing together in the honor that one member receives and suffering in solidarity when one other member of the body suffers. We've got to ask the question, how is this sort of thing possible? Where does it come from? How can we ever experience this? And Paul is making it very clear here, isn't he, that it's found in union with Jesus Christ. It's found in un- by being united to Jesus. See, the church of Jesus is not just another organization to which you loosely commit yourself. Paul is helping us understand it is the supernatural creation of God created in Christ Jesus by the sovereign and mysterious work of the Holy Spirit. It is an organism inhabited and penetrated by the spirit of Jesus Christ himself. And so to belong to the church is to belong to the body of Christ. And that changes everything. So that whether you struggle with insecurity on the one hand, I am not needed, or pride on the other, I don't need you. Dear friends, there is hope for you in the church of Jesus Christ because it is a supernatural institution And the spirit of the Lord Jesus flows through the veins, as it were, giving life to the body, drawing every part together in unity, making us profoundly one in Christ Jesus. And so God is reminding us today of who we are together by his saving grace and through the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the body of Christ and God has so composed the body that every member matters and we need each other. Every member matters and we are all mutually dependent on one another. So that may be that you find yourself struggling with a sense of not being valued or valuable. Please hear God's word to you today. Every part, however small or unnoticeable, is indispensable. That's what Paul says, indispensable. So if you're struggling with this, don't don't struggle with it on your own. Please come and talk. Come and talk to me or the elders. We want to help you find a way to serve in Jesus' name. Or it may be that you find yourself struggling with pride, thinking, I don't need others. I don't need their gifts. I can get by just fine on my own. Thank you very much. And with love, I want to just say to you, you're dead wrong. And you need to repent of your self-sufficiency and recognize your dependency as a member of the body of Christ. You cannot stand or function on your own. You cannot serve effectively and fruitfully on your own. We need each other. God has ordered it this way. And so here Paul exhorts you, at whichever point you may be, to begin to love the church, which is the body of Christ, and to love its members with all of their diversity, because we have been made one in our common Savior, Jesus Christ. And so may the Lord Lord help us to, to, to love the church and to begin to serve for her good and for the Lord's glory. Please join me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we confess a a kind of inverted pride where we uh, tell ourselves that we are unnoticed and unneeded and do not belong. We confess a pride of another sort which says we don't need each other. We can get by just fine on our own. Would you please impress this reality upon our minds and our hearts today that you have through faith in Jesus Christ uh, united us to the Lord Jesus and united us to one another in such a way that we are dependent on one another and given to each other for the common good. Help us more and more to live in light of this reality to think in this way of ourselves that we are the body of Christ given to one another to build one another up in Christ Jesus and to serve one another and the world in Jesus' name. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.